Well, here we are, we're in Father's Day and just really thankful for all the, all the men in the house that are standing as fathers and grandfathers. We just honour you. It's no mean feat to do that in our generation, to stand for what is God, to stand for what is good, to have a heart to raise your children towards the ways of God. We honour you today, men. We really do and we just pray God's richest blessings upon you. Now, we all love the parables of Jesus. I love the parables of Jesus. Parables are not like Proverbs. Proverbs are statements of wisdom. But according to Google, parables are simple stories used to illustrate profound truths, revealing often the heart and the ways of God. Jesus used a lot of parables, didn't he? It wasn't difficult to understand. If you had a heart to learn, Jesus never taught in a way that was ununderstandable or above your head. He would bring these simple stories, but these simple stories, these parables, would in, they'd, in, they'd include and they'd have within them incredible truths that if you didn't just hear with your ears, but you listened with your heart, you could receive something about God and his ways in your life. Now, to me... There's many parables. We recently did an interview, me and uh, Pastor Gina, on Talking Church about different parables, and we shared the ones we liked. But I think a common one that we all love is the parables that we find in Luke 15, and specifically the parable of the wayward child or the prodigal son. But it's interesting, when you go to Luke 15, it's actually three parables about the same thing. But Jesus starts to teach for people Firstly, he uses the analogy of a shepherd and a sheep. He says a shepherd has a number of sheep, 99. He leaves them to go after the one. And then all of a sudden, Jesus must be looking at their faces and thinking, they're not getting this. And so he uses a different story to make the same point. Same point, different story. And he says there was a lady who had these coins, and that would have made up a very um, custom headdress that she would have worn in those days and suddenly she realizes that one of the coins is missing and she leaves the others safe on the dressing table or on the table and she goes in pursuit she turns on the light so in the first parable we see the shepherd lay down his life to get the one sheep back that's a picture of Jesus in the second parable we see Jesus turn the light on so that people could understand him and see him for what he was but then all of a sudden, Jesus goes into this third parable regarding a father. Most of us know this. We acted it out in kids' church at one time or another. A father who had two children, older and younger, obviously. And the younger son suddenly has this thought that leads him into a pathway or a journey of total destruction or near-on total destruction. And we love this story, but in all three stories, Jesus speaks of the sheep and the shepherd, the lady and the coin, and the father and the two sons. What was God's point? The point that God was making was his heart for lost things. That God lost, loves lost things. Not so much loves, love, lost things, but lost people. That God's heart is that none will perish. We've always got to make sure that that's our heart too. But in these parables, Jesus shares the heart of the Father regarding things, specifically people who are lost. Let's never 
give up or stop believing for people who aren't with the flock or home at the moment. And so we find this parable of a wayward son, and I don't actually want to teach so much on the parable today, but I've got to come through the parable to make a point that I believe God wants us to make today. And obviously when we read through the parable in Luke 15, and it goes from verse 11 right the way through, we see an interesting journey made up of three characters. There's a father, and there's a son, and there's an older brother. And all three of these characters are key characters on the stage play of this moment. Each of them contain a message or a preach of their own. You could preach on the father. That would be good being it's Father's Day. Or you could preach on the wayward child. We should all relate to the wayward child. We've all been prodigal or wayward at one time or another. Or we could preach on the attitude of the older brother that was a bad attitude, stinking attitude regarding the restoration of his sibling. Now we see that there's lessons on destruction and how lessons of destruction teach us that destruction never comes in fast and furious. Often it comes with a single thought. But the storyline of this parable is a young boy that's living in his father's house. He has everything he needs. He could never want for anything. There was nothing he needed. Yet a thought came into his world in the midst of that garden he was standing in. But he was missing something. That there was something others were enjoying that he wasn't. Similar to the seed that came into the mind of Adam and Eve. But God was holding out. The father was holding out. A total lie. But the problem was he allowed that thought to germinate. We've always got to be careful of the thoughts we allow to germinate. But you know, every thought you allow, allow to germinate suddenly becomes something that begins to direct your life into a direction. Don't get me wrong, thoughts and habits are neutral. It's what we allow them to empower. I can remember when I look around today at Family Church, we're one church in a number of nations, different cities, different villages. I'm so thankful for the grace that God's given us to do what we're doing. But the whole journey started when I was going down, I think it was the M27, in my white Cavalier. I was an evangelist, I was preaching around. And all of a sudden, I'm driving down the M27 in my white Cavalier with the window open because the air conditioning wasn't working. And all of a sudden, you don't need air conditioning much in this country, but when you do, you often need it a lot. This thought came into my mind about planting a church. It was called Abide in the Vine then, now it's family church as we know it. I'm so glad I didn't brush that seed away, but I allowed it to germinate, to grow. And it began a journey that we've all been on, many of us, for 25 years plus. But also when I look at some of the most stupid things I've ever done in my life, some of the most ridiculous, stupid, destructive things in my life over the continuum of the last 57 years, I always track it back to a thought that I didn't take control of. A thought that I didn't say, that's stupid, that's evil, that'll wreck my life, that'll wreck relationships. So there's a lesson before we even start to monitor the thoughts. You can't stop the birds flying around your head, but you can stop them making a nest in your hair. Can someone say amen? And suddenly the thought that this young man has 
brings him on this negatively epic journey of decline and then realization and then thankfully restoration. He leaves the father's house. I don't want to go into the detail of the story because I want to get to a point, the other side of the story. But suddenly we race through this storyline and most of us know, give me a wave if you've ever heard about the wayward child or the parable of the the, the prodigal. Okay, most of us are on the storyline. But you've got a kid and he's in a kingdom where he needs nothing. Suddenly he has a thought that he's missing out. He asks his father for half of the inheritance that's due him from being a son. He leaves the father's kingdom and goes off to a far off place. This is the moment he becomes prodigal. He doesn't become prodigal or wayward when he sins, it's when he leaves. It was a position, not something he did. He was long prodigal before he did anything wrong. It was how he'd positioned his life. He'd moved his life from the father's kingdom into a kingdom that was wayward. He began to get a lot of friends because he had a lot of money. He began to kid himself that they were real friends. The Bible alludes that he went crazy. He drank. He did things he shouldn't do. He went in destinations. He probably said to himself he would never go in because it's destructive. It's a destructive circle. It's diminish and return. Sin doesn't please you, so you want more. It's a downward spiral. I remember that in my own world. But then we have this wonderful story of realization that all of a sudden he's sitting there in a pigsty eating pig food. <clears throat> now again, Jesus mentioning those things wasn't just abstract because the worst thing that you could probably paint the picture of with a Jewish boy was to be near pigs because pigs and pork and Jewish boys didn't mix. And for a Jewish boy to be sitting in a pigsty envying what the pigs are eating really gave you a level of this kid has trashed his life. But you know what? He was no different in the realization till he made a decision to return. You see, there's a moment where he's sitting in the pigsty. And I know for my pigsty, my parents wished I'd had that realization many years before. And sometimes if you've got a child that's away from God, you say, how deep is that pigsty? But listen, there is a day that's coming when they will look up. <clears throat> and in that moment... He comes to his senses, but it's no good that he's come to his senses. He has to do something about it. Because good intentions don't do much at all, really, do they? Have you ever had somebody say to you on your birthday, Oh, happy birthday. I saw an incredible present for you, and I thought about getting it for you. But I didn't. <laughs> but hey, it's the thought that counts. These days, I'm a little bit older. I say, No, it's not. I want the present. <laughs> the thought doesn't change me at all. In the same way, if he'd not done something about the thought he was having that was a repair to the negative thought that had brought him away from the father's house, nothing would have changed. And we see the prodigal child get out of a pigsty and he rehearses this incredible speech, isn't he? Epic, a masterful speech. I've been an idiot dad, I've been a wally, I've been a dipstick, I don't deserve to be a son. Because he thought to himself, I don't expect to be a son, I don't expect to be restored to sonship. But if I could just be a servant even a slave, that's a better life than the life I'm living right now. <clears throat> I don't expect sonship. This isn't self-entitlement. This is me desperately saying, Dad, give me a job and I'll live better than what I'm living now. So he comes up with his epic speech, the same kind of speech I came up with and you would have. But meanwhile, then you're introduced to the father, very fitting on Father's Day, who's watching for the return of his son, 
Even though the shepherd went after the lost one, the father hadn't gone after him. Because the father knew when the son left the house, there was a work that needed to be done in his life. That the school of hard knocks, the school of stupid, would have to teach him. But when he returned, he knew his work would be done in, in the life of his child. And so you get this imagery of his father daily looking out, looking out for the return of the wayward child. Every day looking, every day looking. Then all of a sudden he looks out and he sees a silhouette of a posture that he recognises. And he sees his son coming over the hill, bent over. And he could see from his posture his repentance. And it says all of a sudden the father got carried away. <clears throat> and didn't wait for the child to get to the gates. But ran towards the child. Left his kingdom to go and meet. Ran. And it says that he ran and he would lift the skirt that they would wear as a nobleman in those days. And again, that was an insult to the Pharisee who was listening. Because in those days, if you were a man of that standing, your ankles were never seen. Yet Jesus violates all of his protocol to reveal the heart of the father for the child that returns. Also the child that's already home. He loved him. He loved him too. He wasn't the bad child. He loved both his kids. And he comes to the child and is that incredible meeting where the kid's going, I'm sorry, I'm an idiot, I've been an idiot, I've been so, I'm sorry. And, and the father doesn't even listen to him, he says, shut up. And he overrides him and begins to say, bring me a ring, bring me a cloak, bring me shoes for his feet. And there's a kid standing there going, I was an idiot, I don't know why I did it, I don't know why I did it, I was just a wally, I'm sorry. I the father's totally ignoring him and restoring him and repositioning him as someone who belongs in his kingdom. Maybe the son didn't realise as he was moaning and groaning and repenting, the father had pulled him from the way off kingdom and brought him inside of his own home. And now he was positioned as a son. The problem did was he didn't realise it. And then obviously we get into the next bit, which is the attitude of the older brother, which one of the lessons we learn there is let's be kind when we see people coming back to the father's house. That really stands out. But I want to pick up from this storyline a little bit here, just with one little section which speaks of this return. And it says, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring a fattened calf. One translation says the fatling. I often wondered what the fatling looked like. Like, was it a barbecue spectacular? You know, we've had the pork, we've had the chicken. Bring out and smoke the fatling. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine. He never stopped being a son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. We love that storyline. I've got an unusual question. Like I said, I had to come through the parable to get to another thought that I had recently. And my thought was, what about the morning after? Because Jesus' parable ends with a celebration, a brother bent out of shape, offended. This is a story of attitudes, choices, responses. We see the son return. We see the father's heart revealed, embracing, restoring. 
And then we are left with this picture of this incredible celebration where everybody's dancing, everybody's eating the fatling, everybody's, woo, yeah, come on, he's back. And I like to think that the brother got his, his gear sorted out in his head. He came in and joined as well. He got his trash sorted out. But then I get this thought, and I don't know if you ever get these thoughts when you're reading the Bible. What was it like the morning after when the feast was over and the celebration was done? He was now home. The big moment of return had taken place. They'd eaten, danced, feasted. The father had danced with his son around a campfire. The pictures are amazing when you begin to let your imagination go on them. But what was it like the morning after, Monday morning, when the prodigal, who's now home, gets out of bed and begins to walk around his father's kingdom? Have you ever thought that? Because he must have been walking around and he must have seen the look in certain people's eyes. We heard what you did. We heard what you did. Now they couldn't say it because they were servants and he was a son, but it was in their eyes. Sometimes people don't need to speak to say what they're saying. And he must have seen people just looking at him and watching him. They enjoyed the party, but they didn't get what the father had done. Where actually, according to what the father had done, he should be able to walk around with his head held high as one restored. Yet if he was confused about the father's heart or what the father had done, though he was now restored to the kingdom, he could still walk around as a slave and a beggar. Interesting. He could have walked around even though the father had restored him. No, no, I, I, I don't belong here. <laughs> no, this is a con. Someone... <laughs> someone's going to throw me out of the party in a minute. Someone, that, Dad's going to change his mind in a moment and go, no, 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 I thought about what you did. Get out, you, you rascal. No, no, so, someone's, no, no. He could have walked around like a trespasser, not feeling that this was real or that what the father had done was complete. Or the other image is he could have walked around going, yeah, I know what I did. I'm owning what I did. But you've got to understand, I'm restored. Let me put it this way. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, there's a place for me. Maybe when we bring this into our world, we can have the same confusion. That we've returned to God, yet we're still living like we're estranged. And I really felt the father saying, not to the prodigal today, but to those who are believers that have been saved, you've got to know that what the father has done is complete. You are no longer a prodigal. You are no longer wayward. He no longer knows you as prodigal, but he knows you as righteous, redeemed, and restored. You've got to let that rise in your head and in your heart. Because like I said, the title prodigal or wayward wasn't about the things he did. It was where his life was positioned. He became prodigal and wayward before he had a wrong relationship with any lady. Before he got drunk out of his brains, hurt people, lied, cheated. Those were the acts or the fruit of a wayward life. 
He was wayward the moment he left his father's house. We all believe that? Okay, if we use that rule of reasoning, it has to work the other way too. But he came back to the father's house. The father welcomed him, restored him with righteousness, sonship, no longer a servant, but a child of a house. His position as somebody who was prodigal, but now is righteous, wasn't about what he did next. It was the position his father had given him. Why am I saying this today? Because I believe there's some people walking around the Father's kingdom and your head is still hung low and God wants to lift your head. Maybe in that morning after, there must have been so much confusion for the son. I did this, now I'm back. The love that I was shown. Maybe there was a moment that he was by the well just considering it with his head down. And suddenly the father appeared out of nowhere, said nothing, just put his hand under the son's chin and lifted his head. I believe today God is lifting the head of people that don't know they're back home. They're not trespassers. You belong in your father's house. You are loved in the kingdom of God. The father won't hear a bad word against you. In fact, the father has nothing but rejoicing in his eyes and in his heart regarding you. We know that in Revelations 12 verse 10, the one who's called the accuser of the brethren is the devil, not God. It says he stands day and night accusing accusing they don't belong the problem is that when the father looks at you he sees you through the holes in the hands of his son so no word of the enemy of accusation can violate the intercessory power of what Christ has done for you with his blood now this is interesting because it reminds me of a couple of things it reminds me of the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. That they were brought miraculously out of captivity, slavery, through what we know as water baptism, through the Red Sea, into a new journey with God heading towards a promised land. But the problem was that God said to some of these, basically, you left Egypt, but you kept Egypt in your head. You're walking around as a slave in a free land. God wants to get that out of our minds. Also, when I read this story, it reminds me of a new creation and the absolute declaration of 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when it says, we were once an old man, but now through faith in Christ, all things have become new. Also, it gives me the picture of what the Bible teaches about being in Christ. Ah, such a platform to open up those thoughts. That there was once a moment 
before we believed in Christ. Where our lives were separated, we were prodigal, we were wayward, we had no relationship with God. Sin was an issue between us and the Father. But the moment we came in Christ, we came through a doorway. Remember what Jesus said, I am the door, all who come to the Father come through me. The moment we were born again, our lives were positioned in Christ and outside of our performance, we became righteous with a righteousness that pleased the Father. And what confuses us is we didn't do anything to deserve it. But that is who we are. Proverbs chapter 3 makes this lovely statement about God. And I love this. He's the lifter of our head. He's the lifter of our head. Listen, today, if you've believed in Christ and you know the Bible says you are now a part of his kingdom, you're his child, he's your father, he's your heavenly father, you're a son and daughter of the most high God, that's awesome. But I believe that this message today comes to you to say, don't walk around the Father's kingdom with your head hung low, living in the regrets of what you did when you did what you did. Now let God lift your head. Let him look into your eyes and say, that's so last season. This is today. You're forgiven. You're washed with the blood of the Lamb. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. How holy have I made you that my Holy Spirit can now live in in you, not with you, in you. What a perfect work I've done to complete who you were and bring you into a newness of a new day, a new beginning. Lift your head. Don't let the devil accuse you. Don't let people accuse you. Lift your head. Begin to walk around the Father's house like you belong. Stop waiting for someone to throw you out because you think you're a trespasser. In my Father's house. There's a place for me. I'm not talking about when I die, there's one, that one now. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. I want the musicians to come up because I think I'm done preaching, tell you the truth. I think we should sing that song in my father's house. There's a place for me. And I want you to get a breakthrough today. The moment we say this, Yes, I am. Yes, I am. That's your prayer this morning. That's when you're going to own this. You see, when I was getting ready for the day, I couldn't stop thinking about when you go to a wedding. Now, the Bible says that beyond this life, there's a wedding banquet where Christ will serve us, the servant king. But I was beginning to think about weddings and receptions. This is the kind of time of year when a lot happens. And that moment that you've been in the wedding and you know that you were invited to the reception, but something's inside going, I wonder if there's a place for me at the table. So very subtly, you look around the chalkboard to see if your name's on it. And if that don't work, you begin to wander casually around the tables. Oh, Stuart and Carla. Oh, they got in, they got in. That's okay, that's good. There's Ruth, she's in there. She's in there. Sean and Paul. And you begin, oh, Richard and Philippa, Janine. And then you stop. And you see a card. 
at a place. And it says Andy Helms. And you know you didn't belong or you didn't deserve a place. This is the grace of the Father. And then you look and there's Gina Elms and all the little Elmses. We take up a whole side of a table when we get together. It's like Elms assembled. I mean, we like, but you begin to walk around and you begin to look at the card. I belong. I belong. There's a place with my name on it. That meant that the father knows I'm here. And there's a place for me at his table. No bouncer is coming to throw me out. No one's coming to say, you crept in over the wall. Because the thing is, if you came through Christ, you came through the front door. If you came through the front door and the Father let you in, he's done what he's wanted to do. He's clothed you with his righteousness. He's given you his sonship. You are not a foreigner. You are not a stranger. You are not a prodigal. You are not a wayward child. You are not excluded. You are not banned. You are not an alien. If you've come through Christ... You belong in his kingdom today. And you need to lift your head. Let the Father lift your head. And let a sound begin to come out of your heart. This isn't about if I deserve it, because this is the grace of God we're talking about. This isn't about whether I earned it. That's religion, not relationship. This is about I was lost, but now I'm found. But the Father welcomed me back when I left my pigsty. He let me in through the front door. And the very moment I stepped in, I was no longer a wayward child. I've got to stop being a wayward child in my head. I've got to stop living prodigal in my head. Because the reality in the eyes of the Father is I'm no longer that person. I'm restored. I'm redeemed. I'm back in the position I was before. Like nothing ever went wrong. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, I've got some news for you today. You're here. One prayer. One prayer. You could be here. Faith in Jesus Christ alone will bring you in to the salvation of God and the restoration beyond anything you ever dreamed. Just my every eyes closed, every head's bowed, just for a moment. <clears throat> We're going to sing this in a few moments how we're going to end today I love our worship team it's like they get no notice until I walk through the door wow we're going to end with this song I'm glad that they rehearse but if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ you've never believed in Jesus you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ to be restored to the Father and His purposes for your life to receive the forgiveness that He's got for you the embrace the ring the robe, the shoes. If you're here today and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus or I've been away from Jesus and today I want to return to my Father's house, I'm going to count to three and if that's you, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. One, two, three. Is there anyone today and you say, I need to give my life to Jesus? I need to let Jesus come into my life and turn this life around. 
just going to wait just a couple of moments and looking around I know most people are God lovers saying that slowly from now on just in case there's one and you don't belong to God you don't know if you belong to God get that sorted right now okay now we're going to sing this together and this is going to be our end prayer today and we're going to say in my father's house there's a place for me and I'm not talking about heaven one day though there is I'm talking about the father's kingdom right now in my father's house there's a place for me I belong I belong I'm a child of God. Yes, I am.